0: let's go ahead and uh let's talk mark so this is uh second week it's really the kickoff because last week we did an introduction and i think introductions anytime i do a textual series i always do the first week is always an introduction of the book i think that's important it's not always that interesting but it is important like you got to know who wrote it and when they wrote it and why they wrote it and all that kind of stuff So, this is kind of really the first week of the series where we really dive into the text and and see what the text is saying. Now, last week, when I do an introduction, I try to make it interesting. Like, I I try to put something in there that I think people will go to their small groups because small groups started meeting last Sunday and go, Wow, this was, I'd never thought of it that way before. You know, this is something, you know, now I got something we can talk about in my small groups. And I honestly thought it would be this slide right here. Um, This was a quote that I used at the end. Just the book as a whole was characterized as the beginning of the good news. Like that was the, like not, when Mark in in chapter 1 verse 1 says the beginning of the good news of Jesus, he's not talking about the beginning of Jesus' story. He's talking about the whole story of Jesus. Like the whole story of Jesus is the beginning of the good news. The whole book of Mark is the beginning of the good news. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's kind of cool. I'd never thought of it that way before. And I thought that's what we would talk about in our small groups. That's not what we talked about in our small groups. We talked about this slide. It was probably not written by Mark. So, like, people were like, "What in the world was he saying there? Can you believe he said that? What what is going on? You know, what kind of heresy is this? It's the Gospel according to Mark. It's not written by Mark." Um, You know, for some of us, this shook us just a little bit, and I was that was a shock slide. So, I I admit to that Um, because Mark did write it, kind of, sorta, but it shook us a little bit. But it shouldn't shouldn't shake us. Uh, The Bible is the inspired Word of God. ...but he used humans to relay it to us. So there is a human element to the inspired text. God chose to use humans to bring his message to us. God has always used humans to bring his message to us... ...except when he has sent his son Jesus. But He's, he's chose to use humans to give that to us. And it wasn't inspired in the sense... ...and this is kind of the way I grew up... Like it, ...God didn't just take the Bible and, and drop it down from heaven... ...in the form we have it today. Or he didn't you know, dictate it letter by letter and word by word... He, he inspired these authors to write it. He inspired people who were eyewitnesses to the story of Jesus or close associates of eyewitnesses or you know, people, historians like Luke who researched the story and talked to eyewitnesses to record it for future generations. And that doesn't give me less faith in the Bible. It gives me more faith in the Bible and its reliability because when we read the Gospels, we're reading eyewitness accounts. We're getting to read the content ...of the Gospel of Mark was largely formed by, we think, the sermons of Peter. So we largely think it's Peter's recollections and Peter's sermons... ...that form the content of this Gospel. Mark just organized it. He was known as Peter's interpreter. So Mark did write it in a way, but it gives me a lot of confidence in this word... ...because we're getting to hear the eyewitness account of what happened with Jesus. So we're going to jump straight into uh, chapter 1 today... And I'm not going to read the first chapter to you, I'm going to try to recap it uh, to you. This is the way it begins, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and then he quotes uh, a verse from Isaiah, and it's it's a verse from Isaiah talking about the Messiah coming, but also talking about a man named John the Baptist who's going to come before the Messiah. He's known as the, the forerunner of Jesus. So John the Baptist comes, he's kind of styled after these Old Testament prophets, he wears camel hair, clothing, and eats Locust and honey, and he preaches a message of repentance repent and be baptized because one is coming whose sandals I am not fit to untie. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. And then one day, Jesus shows up on the banks of the Jordan River, he asks to be baptized by John. John baptizes him. After his baptism, the heavens open up and a dove descends. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. A voice from God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He goes into a period of testing in the wilderness or the temptation in the wilderness. He announces the good news and then he immediately begins calling disciples. So he calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They're all fishermen. And he says, come follow me. And all of these fishermen drop their nets and follow Jesus as their rabbi. He goes and speaks in a synagogue in Capernaum, and while he's speaking at the synagogue, two things happen. One, people are amazed at the way he teaches, because Jesus apparently teaches differently than the other rabbis, so they're amazed. He teaches with authority, so they're amazed at the authority, but then he is confronted in the service by a um, man possessed with an impure spirit. And the impure spirit says, you know, I know who you are. You are Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus commands him to be quiet and tells him to get out of the man. And the people are even more amazed because not only does he teach with authority, but he has authority over people possessed with impure spirits. And then he goes to Simon's house and Simon's mother-in-law is sick. He heals Simon's mother-in-law, and later that evening, the words got out about what happened in the synagogue. So people from all around the area bring their sick to Jesus, and he heals them. And they bring people who are possessed by demons to Jesus, and, and he casts those out. He spends all night healing, casting out demons. Very early the next morning, he gets up and goes to pray in a quiet place. The disciples wake up. They can't find him. They don't know where he is. They go find him. He tells them, we got to go preach in other areas. So they start traveling in other areas around Galilee. There's a man who uh, has leprosy who comes to Jesus and asks to be healed by him. Jesus is indignant, and he heals the man. And then he tells the man, don't tell anybody what I've done for you. Instead, go straight to the priest and, and tell the priest about it and do the ceremonial cleansings, but don't tell anybody else. And, of course, as soon as Jesus leaves, the man completely ignores him, goes and tells everybody else, and, and then it gets to where like Jesus can't even go into the city anymore because all these people are coming to see him. He, he has to stay out in lonely places, and he's not able to travel anywhere. <sighs> That's chapter 1. That's just chapter 1 of Mark. That's 45 verses of chapter 1. And I told you, Mark moves fast. He goes story to story, event to event, but he has a purpose, and we'll talk about the purpose here in just a second. But I want to first talk questions because when I... I uh, study something like this. Like, I, like I sit down on Monday. Usually, is when I get started. And so I'll, I'll sit down and read through this chapter. And when I read through a chapter like this, I've got all kinds of questions because we obviously live in a time very different from the first century, and, and we live in a culture very different from you know the first century. And so, I want to know, like, what is going on here? Like, what is, what is going on? What is God trying to say here? What is, you know, Mark trying to say here? What, what does this say about Jesus? And so, here's just a few of the questions as I read through this week. Just a few. Uh, one, why was Jesus baptized? Like, the whole thing, John the Baptist is coming and says, repent and be baptized. Jesus doesn't need to repent. He has no sin. So why would Jesus submit to a baptism of repentance if he doesn't have any sin? Why was he tested in the wilderness immediately after baptism? Like, there's a part of me that thinks that testing would come before baptism. That's at least the way we think about it a lot of times. As you know, you're you're tested and tempted. But, I mean, immediately after baptism, he is tested. And it says the Spirit led him into it. And then this this whole thing with the disciples, Simon, uh, Andrew, James, and John, like they just drop their nets and follow him like they didn't ask questions <laughs> like wouldn't you if somebody came up and said follow me wouldn't you have a few questions like where are we going you know who are you what what is going like did they truly not know jesus and they just dropped their nets and followed him or did they know something about jesus like is this a summary of something that, that did they already know a little bit about this guy and the the demon possession you know like what what in the world's going on there this this what is an impure spirit and, and what it, when the, the, it confronts Jesus, and Jesus cast out this demon, and like, that's, does that kind of stuff still happen today? So far, I've never been, you know, interrupted. Of course, now, I'm not Jesus either, so, but I've never been interrupted by an impure spirit. So was that stuff still going on today? And then the leper, it says Jesus was indignant when he came up to him. What, what was Jesus indignant about, or why, who, or what? And then he tells the guy, don't tell anybody. Why? I thought the whole idea, like in chapter 1, it says Jesus came to announce the good news. And then at the end of chapter 1, he says, don't tell anybody about the good news. So <clears throat> there's your small groups. We're done today. You guys uh, can talk about that in your small groups. I'm sure you'll figure it all out. It's real easy. No problem. <laughs> um, we tried talking about it in our, my small group because we're kind of a week ahead but um, we only got through one of those questions. Now, I do want to talk through a few of them, but I won't be able to talk through all of them because I only have a limited amount of time. But I do want to talk through a few. And so let's, let's jump back. Uh, let's look at Mark chapter 1. And Todd, I'll let you kind of figure out where I am. I'm going to try to use this, my text here. So uh, Mark chapter 1, let's go to verse 9 and let's look at the baptism of Jesus. This is what it says. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, we know that um, Jesus began his earthly ministry somewhere around 27 to 30 AD. Like somewhere in this time frame. And we know that he was about 30 years old when he began his earthly ministry. So think about that for just a minute. The Son of God came to earth in the the form of a man named Jesus. So this is the Son of God living on earth. We know about his birth story. Not because of Mark, because Mark doesn't tell us anything about the birth story, but Matthew and Luke fill in the gap. So we know about his birth story. But for 30 years, the Son of God lived in a tiny village in Judea as a carpenter. And we don't know anything about it. For, the, for the, the great majority of the time, the Son of God just lived quietly and humbly among people. And we don't, we don't know anything about what happened during that time frame. Because he had not yet chose to reveal himself. So this was all in God's timing as to when he felt he should reveal himself as the Messiah or as the Son of God and that actually explains the baptism. When you when you put that in context, it explains the baptism. Jesus wasn't coming to be baptized by John because he had sin and he needed to repent. He was coming to be baptized by John as an announcement of his ministry, as an announcement that he is the Messiah. You remember the first verse there that John or Mark says Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. What he's going to do all throughout the first chapter is try to establish that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Actually, he's going to do that all throughout the book. The whole book is written to establish that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But the first 12 verses, he does it with testimony. So he first does it with the testimony of the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes this uh, in chapter 2 and 3. He quotes this this verse from Isaiah to say that the, the prophets testify that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he does it through the testimony of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist comes preaching, you know, repent and be baptized. And, you know, this Messiah is coming. And so when Jesus shows up on the banks of the Jordan to be baptized, he is basically saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one John was talking about. I'm the one Isaiah was talking about. I I am the one. The Messiah is a word that means anointed one. Okay, so he is the anointed one. Israel's been looking forward to Messiah for years. Israel's been looking forward to Messiah. And so Jesus' baptism is an announcement that I am the Messiah. And it's further testimony, but not from the prophets and not from John the Baptist, but from God himself. Because God himself says, this is my son. So, so Mark is establishing for us through, through the testimony of prophets and the testimony of John the Baptist and the testimony of God himself... That Jesus is the Messiah. He has come to be baptized not for the salvation of his sins, but for the announcement that he is the Messiah. Now, there's some commentators that look at that and say Jesus was actually also identifying with us. Just like, you know, Paul says he became sin who had no sin so that we might become his righteousness. So that when Jesus submitted to baptism, he was possibly identifying with those of us who do need baptism for the remittance of sins. We we need that because we are sinners. And so Jesus is identifying with us in that way. I, I think it's interesting because I think it's one of the strongest points for uh, why we participate in baptism. You know, I think you, you look at um, the example of Jesus and... I think it's one of the greatest arguments for, for, you know, Jesus modeled something for us that we continue to do today. And every now and then, you know, I would run across somebody who doesn't really think they need to be baptized. Um, it's usually not the case. Usually it's the case that people feel like, I know I need to be baptized, but I don't think I'm ready, or I don't think I'm good enough, or I don't think I'm you know, worthy enough, or I don't think I've, I've i got to stop sinning and all this stuff first before I get baptized, which is totally backwards, because it's not a graduation, it's a beginning. All right. Um, but I, and there's, every now and then somebody be like, well, I'm saved, so I don't need to be baptized. You know, I'm, I'm saved, what do I need to be baptized for? And it, that's, a, that's an old argument that's been going on for a long time uh, about, you know, like what's the exact moment of salvation? Is it before baptism? Is it after baptism? Is it during baptism? Are, are we saved and therefore we should be baptized or are we baptized in order to be saved? You know, I like guess is, is, is people been, it's primarily the Baptist and Church Christ, if you want to all be honest, the people that are fussing about this. It's primarily Baptist and Church Christ. And the reason they fuss about it so much is because they're just alike. Uh, because at the end of the process, whether it takes, a day or two months, you got a baptized saved believer. So at the end of the process, they pretty much believe the same thing, but they kind of get hung up on the semantics of it. But every now and then, some are like, "Well, I'm saved, so I don't need to be baptized." And the answer to that is, "Well, what about the example of Jesus? I mean, this was a perfect sinless man that submitted to baptism in obedience to God. Now he had a different reason. This was an announcement of his ministry. But I mean, this was a perfect sinless man that submitted. To so if the perfect sinless man could submit to baptism, then a sinner ought to be able to submit to baptism because we need it we need that cleansing we need that that fresh start we need that you know it's it's kind of how we participate in the in the power and the promise of Christ and so I I think that's a I've always looked at that as a as an example to encourage people who maybe think I don't know that I need to be baptized to encourage well maybe you do need to be baptized just to follow in the example of Jesus now right after Jesus was baptized he's tempted and that's probably, I could, that's probably a whole other sermon. But you know, right after, right after we make our biggest commitment to Jesus, is is sometimes the time that we are tempted and tested the most. Um, and Jesus is tested in a more specific way through Capernaum. So let's look at that next story real quick. Um, verse twenty-one. Verse twenty-one. Look at that one real quick. <clears throat> they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. Now, Jesus could do this because he was a rabbi. So, I mean, it was, Jesus was considered a rabbi, and I think that's why Simon and John, Andrew and James and John followed him, because they knew him as a rabbi, although he's going to reveal himself to be a different kind of rabbi. And that happens right here, verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, this this story has always I've always thought it was kind of a weird story, and I primarily blame the movie The Exorcist for why I think this is a weird story. Because I had no idea what it looked like to cast out an impure spirit, but I envision The Exorcist. You know, I mean, that's like popular culture. That's what we envision is like this, this, this this really really dramatic crazy wild scene happening and i don't know possibly it was like that i don't you don't necessarily get that indication from the text but again the, the way this story makes sense is if we try to put it in context and understand what mark's trying to do mark's trying to establish the identity of jesus he used the testimony of isaiah he used the testimony of john he used the testimony of god himself now he's appealing to jesus authority So right when Jesus teaches, Mark says, the people were amazed at his teaching. And then when Jesus finished teaching, Mark says, the people were amazed at his teaching. And the example, and the reason they're amazed is because he has authority. But an example of his authority is sandwiched just in between those two statements of authority. An example of that Jesus has authority even over evil. And that wasn't a normal, everyday occurrence. This wasn't a deal like, there was just people... Doing, there was impure spirits interrupting rabbis every, every weekend in the synagogue. No, this was, this was an unusual occurrence, and the people were amazed that Jesus had power over that. And so they were amazed that Jesus cast that out. And so the reason the demon possession story exists in the Gospel of Mark is an example of the authority of Jesus. The reason the healing stories exist that come after that is an example of the authority of Jesus. So Jesus is the Messiah not only because of the testimony, he's the Messiah because he has authority in his teaching, he has authority over evil, and he has authority over sickness. He has authority over physical and mental elements. Je- Jesus, Jesus has authority over all things. That's why it's there. Now, still, you know, for a modern Western audience, which is which is us, it's still weird. Like we we don't quite know what to do with it because we don't we don't have a lot of experience with demon possession. We don't have well, I have zero experience. Okay, so I, I grew up in a very conservative, uh, rational based denomination we were influenced by alexander campbell and david lipscomb who were influenced by scottish presbyterianism and scottish rationalism and we just we believe in the supernatural but we we try not to deal with it too much um okay so like like we believe yeah Jesus, the supernatural things were happening but you know I, I don't know if they're still happening today and there's there's all kinds of i don't want to i don't want to dig too deep into this um there was a guy one time at, that was working at my house and uh he he found out i was a pastor and he goes oh you're a pastor and i said yeah he said would you mind coming to my house and praying and i'm like sure he goes i i got a demon in my wall and and i want you to come and and you know do an exorcism of the demon and because my house has a demon in the wall and i'm like you got the wrong pastor sir <laughs> like I, 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 I wrong denomination, sorry um, I, that's, I, and I did turn him down because I'm like I'm just not comfortable doing that I don't, anyway um, there's, there's several, like what's going on here what's going on here and there's several different interpretations of it uh, I'm not going to get into all of them I was going to, I've got them written down here like, there's three different ways that we can deal with demon possession but it, it, I'll, I'll give you a C.S. Lewis's quote on it because I think it's the best because I, you know, I tend to be really skeptical of those things. And when you see the you know, stuff on Sunday, Sundays or you see Instagram reels or these people casting out demons or you know, that kind of really dramatic stuff, I tend to be really skeptical of it. Um, but C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, uh, there's two mistakes that we can make when it comes to evil, in regards to evil and the existence of what he calls the devils. So this is what, the devils. And they're equal mistakes. One is uh, to pretend that they don't exist that evil does not exist two is to pretend that it exists everywhere like to, to think that you know that there's evil lurking behind every corner and every person you see is possessed and everything you is possessed and so he's kind of basically arguing for balance and I think that's I think that's a good way to approach this kind of stuff, is you take a balanced view of this, and if you put it in its historical context, the reason the story is there is to confirm the identity of Jesus, and I can go with that. We can all go with that, whether we believe it happens today or doesn't happen today, whether we think it was a natural phenomenon, and they just saw it in supernatural ways in the first century, but we now understand it naturally, like, you know, we understand schizophrenia and psychosis, and uh, we have a natural explanation for that. They wouldn't have had that in the first century, regardless of what our view is of that, we can all say demon has, uh, Jesus has authority over evil and that's why the story's in there because it's to establish the identity of Jesus. And then Mark's going to do one more thing. He's going to establish the identity of Jesus in one more way and I think it's actually his most powerful way. So look at this, verse um, 40. Verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Not at the man not at the request. I think Jesus was indignant at the disease and the illness because disease and illness is a result of the fall of man because before the fall of man and before sin in the world, we didn't have to fight cancer we didn't have to fight leprosy we didn't have to fight birth defects we didn't have to fight those things but when sin entered the world death entered the world and these things will as, as the result of jesus coming back and restoring the world to its rightful place in the new heavens and the new earth we won't have to deal with leprosy anymore we don't deal with that much today in our society but we won't have to deal with cancer anymore we won't have to deal with that anymore and i think that's i think jesus indignant is about that so jesus was indignant uh and he reached out his hand and he touched him and he says i am willing be clean and he immediately cleansed him and the leprosy left him and jesus sent him on his way at once with a strong warning see that you don't tell this to anyone but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them now there's a ver- really simple explanation for why jesus did this one he did not he was not ready to reveal himself fully as the as the messiah yet now, he, we, he's revealing himself as the messiah But the Jewish people were looking for a political and a national Messiah, and Jesus is not that. I'm gonna repeat this again because 2004 24 is coming up. The, the, The American people were looking, I mean, the Jewish people, sorry, the Jewish people were looking for a national and a political Messiah, and he is not that. He is more concerned with our spiritual revolution than a political revolution or a national revolution. He didn't come to establish a theocracy. He came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And it doesn't really come through political power. But anyway, so so Jesus is not ready to reveal this because the Jewish people are looking for that. And when they see these signs and these healings and these demon possession, they assume that, oh, now get ready, we're fixing to overthrow Rome. And Jesus is like, no, you got it all wrong. That's not why I'm here. And so he's going to reveal himself slowly with more teaching. But this one even has a better explanation, and that's this. In order for, uh, somebody who had leprosy would have been a social outcast. So they would have been uh, isolated from the community because of the leprosy. In order to be restored into the community, they would have had to have gone to the priest, undergone the ceremonial cleansings according to the law of Moses, and then they could be restored to community. So Jesus' main concern is for the individual he healed. And his first and primary concern is... The return of this man to community, and that's why he tells him to go. His now compare and contrast that healing with the so-called faith healers of today. Jesus wasn't concerned about building the platform; he was concerned about restoring a person. And and that to me is is huge. And I think Mark uses this as he builds this story. Jesus is the Messiah because of the testimony. Jesus is the Messiah because of his authority. But Jesus is the Messiah because of the way he treats people. Look at, that. Look at the way he treats people. Look at his care for people. Look at the way he, he, his concern for people. And his primary concern is, is for us. And so all through chapter 1, Mark is trying to establish the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And we can trust that based on what he taught. We can trust that based upon... The miracles we can trust that based upon what other people said of him we can trust that based upon his interactions with other people jesus is who he says he is and uh of course this this one ends with him saying you know don't tell anybody and then the man disobeys jesus and goes and tells everybody which you would too and, um, and you'll kind of see why that became a problem starting in chapter 2, verse 1 so next, this next week read chapter 2, verse 1 and you'll see exactly why Jesus didn't want him to tell anybody because it already created some problems but Jesus figured out a way around that one as well we're going to close with a song I'm going to lead us in a prayer and the team's going to come back out and we'll close with a song but let me, let me pray for us Father, I'm thankful for your word and I'm thankful for what, uh, <clears throat> what we see there and what we read there and uh, most of all we're thankful for Uh, Jesus we're thankful that you chose to to send him to this earth to reveal your plan to us to reveal your love uh, for us through through Jesus and since his death burial and resurrection you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is given as a a deposit on our inheritance that this Spirit is with us as we live through these in-between times and await the final return of your son Jesus to this earth to redeem this earth So, uh, Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you for all the many ways that you're with us uh, all throughout our days and our weeks and our months. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.